Welcome to the Educational Renaissance Podcast, where we promote a rebirth of ancient wisdom for the modern era. We seek to inspire educators by fusing the best of modern research with the insights of the great philosophers of education. Join us in the great conversation and share with a friend or colleague to keep the Renaissance spreading. Welcome to the Educational Renaissance Podcast and welcome to a new year, 2024. This first episode of the Educational Renaissance Podcast, we look back on the year that we've just left behind. It was a year of tremendous growth for Educational Renaissance. And on this episode, we're going to share with you some clips from some of our top listened to podcast episodes from the past year. We begin with an episode where we talk about creating culture. Creating culture in our schools and our classrooms begins by framing excellence. In this clip from our June 25th episode, Creating Culture, we talk about what it means to create a culture in your schools by focusing on how we can work with teachers to build a culture that trickles down to our students as well. We reference the book, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle, in which he talks about good apples. Take a listen. We've been talking a lot about the importance of the classroom culture and how the teacher can be that good apple who um, who works against any bad apples and you know actively sets a positive tone. It strikes me that it's important for us all to think about the culture of a school as a whole, not just any one classroom, and the impact that the school culture inevitably has on the individual classroom cultures. And so that macro group dynamic is really important. And I think we all as teachers, um, as leaders, have a role to play in a great school culture. So if you're a teacher listening to this, think about how your group interactions with your fellow teachers can, um, in one sense, either be a great good apple experience or could potentially be a bad apple negative experience. And I think in particular of when you know there are faculty training opportunities when there are meetings going on when there are hard decisions being made and communicated what role are you playing in the group i think we all need to take stock of that ourselves and know that if we as individual teachers and leaders are in some ways sowing negative seeds into that faculty and staff culture of the school, we shouldn't be surprised if there's some negative fruit also coming in the student culture. And so I've heard it said from a few different sources that the student culture will follow the faculty culture in key ways. And you might say won't probably rise above the level of the faculty culture. If you're a school leader hearing this and thinking about this, I think you need to really take stock of what you are doing in terms of the leadership of your school to lead, set the tone, cultivate, engage a positive faculty culture that um, you know, ultimately is it has the savor of Christ and the gospel about it. 
and um, is focused on growth and is healthy. Um, we we want to have a healthy and growth-focused faculty culture, and without that, we're going to be at a loss to be able to create any sort of student culture that's ultimately enduring in a positive sense. And now for a message from our sponsor. Sign up for the Educational Renaissance newsletter. Stay connected to the EdRen community to deepen your understanding of education and hone your craft as a teacher. The Educational Renaissance newsletter comes out every Saturday morning sharing each new blog post. Subscribers also get advance notice on special offers. We promise not to fill up your email with endless advertisements. Become part of the Educational Renaissance community. Subscribe today at educationalrenaissance.com. That was a clip from our episode, Creating Culture. Up next, we talk about parent partnership. Parent partnership is so key to building culture in your school. It's dealing with the parents in our community who've bought into the mission and vision of the school. And you can reinforce the fundamental principles of your school through quality parent partnership. Take a listen. When you're talking to parents and you're asking about their desires for their students for the year, you can hear within how they respond, what they value, and therefore what their strengths are in terms of their understanding of the Christian classical philosophy and where their weaknesses are. And so I can imagine a situation where, you know, you ask the parents, hey, what are you hoping for this year? And they talk about, well, we'd really like to see the math grades improved and the spelling grades improved. We're not satisfied with how last year went in terms of the academics. And to build trust, it's important for you to affirm that insofar as it is affirmable and even interact with that a little bit. Oh, tell me more about that. What what were some of the challenges last year in math class? Um, you know, why is why are you so passionate about this? You know, really try to um, mine for understanding there. When you do that, you're building trust so that when you move into that next phase of shepherding, you have their um, their goodwill, their buy-in. So then after you're interacting with their initial response about, say, academic rigor, you can then move into, tell me a little bit more about some things that you're working on with your child at home from a character perspective. What are some... Uh, what are some strengths you see in your child from a character perspective or some recent victories? And what are some things that you're still working on? Uh, how can I come alongside you as the teacher in supporting you at home in those endeavors? Uh, there might also be some, um, <clears throat> some goals for their spirituality, as you mentioned, Patrick, or their relationship with God or um, desire to grow more in their faith, you know. And again, so if the parents comment on that initially, great. Ask them follow-up questions, try to understand more where they're coming from. Uh, that might be especially helpful if they're coming from a different denomination than you and you're trying to learn how to speak the same language. Um, but if they don't make a comment about spiritual growth, you can ask them, hey, tell me about, you know, so-and-so's recent interactions at church um, do they enjoy going to church what's what's their Bible reading like at home how do you guys pray together as a family 
these needn't be invasive questions. What they're actually doing is calling the parents up in an inspirational and relational way. What you're demonstrating for the parents is that you care about them holistically and not just the academics on the one hand or just their spiritual development on the other. And I think those comments speak to a very real and present danger that we often forget. And that's that as teachers, it's really easy to think you have the corner on insight into a child's life because after all, you see them so much and you become very confident in what you're seeing. And on the flip side, as a parent, it's very tempting to think that you have the corner on your child's life and understanding and development based on what they're telling you at home. And the fact of the matter is, while it is the same child at home and at school, the child may look and feel very different at school rather than at home. There there may be very different um, viewpoints that parent and teacher have onto what's going on in the child's inner life, how they're processing school and friends and relationships and everything. And so the more that you can talk and the more that you can ask, both as a parent and as a teacher, the, the fuller perspective you both have and the more you can come at that relationship to learn first and then second to strategize together how to help and address any challenges or concerns, the better. And now for a message from our sponsor. Rethink your why. As educators interested in renewing education for a new generation, Jason Barney's new book, Rethinking the Purpose of Education, helps you rethink learning objectives around moral, spiritual, and intellectual virtues. Get your copy of Rethinking the Purpose of Education by Jason Barney, available now through our website or at Amazon.com. In our next clip, we tackle stress and how stress can be actually a positive part of school life. How can we as educators cultivate resilience in our students and identify ways to positively frame the good kinds of stress that we engage in? Well, how do we apply this mindset of encountering stressful things that would be of a positive benefit to us, as well as coaching our students through some of those more negative, anxiety-ridden aspects of life. Do you have any recommendations on how we as teachers can be shepherding our students along through that tricky world of figuring out, is this a good stress, is this a bad stress, and how to manage both of those? Yeah, I think the first step is a question around high stakes testing. There's been a lot of research that shows some of the negatives behind that. But I think one of the aspects of it is that we we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater and get rid of testing or any sort of pressure in the academic environment by just taking out all tests and all grades. Now, I mean, we might have a broader conversation around that, but I think at least one of the things we could say is that there is a way of doing testing with this like cram, test, forget, where you have this huge big test that has all the stakes in it and 
you're asking students to do things they haven't been asked to do for the whole of the unit up till now that is really unhelpful. And there's a way of being a teacher and talking about the tests and their impact on a student's future that also tends to actually deliberately prick that anxiety and fear and focus on whether I'm a failure or not based on this test that's coming up and that I have to prove myself and my worth by that test that I think we we know now is mostly just a negative stressor. It's not necessarily going to help students learn better. It is going to um, you know, make them potentially fail to do it that way. Uh, and so, I mean, Patrick, I think you've engaged with NeuroTeach a little bit on some of the things that cause unhelpful or negative stress in the classroom. What can you add to this? The book NeuroTeach by Glenn Whitman and Ian Kelleher is a fascinating read, and, and I highly recommend it to anybody teaching, e even if you're a homeschool mom, because it, it really gives you insight into the mechanisms going on inside of the head, which is often the most difficult aspect of what we're trying to read in a room, right? So reading the text that's easy. Reading my lesson plan or reading a test, those are all really easy. But getting inside of the brain can sometimes be the trickiest aspect of what we're doing. There's a chart on page 69 where they list factors that cause and reduce stress in students. So some of the things that can increase the stress in your environment, boredom, so you, you know, when the kid has their head in their hand and, you know, their eyes are glazed over, that creates stress. If there's no personal relevance for the student or if they, they feel like there's frustration and no sense of autonomy to encounter and resolve problems or issues. So what you're hearing in that is when they are disengaged in the work of learning and when they feel there's, there's no personal stake in it, that can increase stress for the student. The opposite, though, is if students feel like they have a certain amount of choice or if there's novelty in what they are learning, if they can see that there's a positive set of interactions with peers that, that is going on, if movement, just simple movement, like we're going to walk around the classroom as we learn, forward direction can actually induce stress reduction. So there's a lot of tools, just simple mindset things. And all of this comes down to the student as an autonomous, directional individual. If they're induced to engage in the work that they're doing, that actually reduces anxiety about their work. And so that's kind of a baseline way of reading the room? Am I getting my students to a place where they are personally investing in, in what they're doing? This is so fascinating. I have a million thoughts entering my mind right now. The biggest one, I think, to capture it all is just the integration between pedagogy and mental health is becoming clearer and clearer to me in a way that I didn't really think about before. As you guys were both talking, I was thinking about, yeah, a pedagogy where 
the students are engaged, where they're doing the work of learning. Everything we talk about on this podcast and that we write about at Educational Renaissance, it turns out that there are that these these are ways that actually can reduce stress in students' life while not decreasing the expectation of the type of work that students are doing. Uh, maybe a different way to say it would be that there's actually meaningful academic work that we can ask students to do that's optimally aligned with the way God created human beings. And conversely, there's actually some really rotten academic work out there that is not aligned with who God created us to be as human beings and how we learn and how we think. And so, you know, you know, the, the image, the, the perhaps caricature image of the of the modern educational classroom where it's worksheet after worksheet in a, sort of a grind format where humans are essentially becoming information processors. I mean, that itself, you can just see upon simple reflection, that's not going to do well. That's not going to go well for a student in terms of their overall emotional, mental well-being. And again, to clarify, what I'm not suggesting is that the sort of work we advocate for at Educational Renaissance is easier, is lower quality. It's just that it's better aligned with who we are that God has made us to be. And now for a message from our sponsor. Are you ready to take your classroom or school to the next level? Here at Educational Renaissance, we want to equip you with skills and practices that will help you achieve your goals as educators. Join us for our next live webinar and take a deep dive into the topics you've learned about through our blog posts, podcasts, books, and videos. Learn practical skills and get your questions answered to level up your classroom or school. Simply sign up for our next live webinar on our webinar page at educationalrenaissance.com. Learn more about upcoming webinars or find other downloadable content. If you believe teaching is a craft, then join us for our next webinar where you can be apprenticed to gain valuable skills and practices. Sign up at educationalrenaissance.com. In our final clip on this clip show, looking back on our top episodes from 2023, we interviewed Deanie Van Pelt. Deanie Van Pelt is an educational leader who is a researcher into Charlotte Mason. She works with the Charlotte Mason Institute, and she brought a lot of excitement to our celebration of the centenary of Charlotte Mason. Take a listen. With somebody who is so invested in Charlotte Mason, you were incorporating that as a homeschool mom, thinking about policy, guiding research through Charlotte Mason Institute. I can think of no one better to maybe weigh in on what is the future of Charlotte Mason education? Where is it going? Is it are we expecting a time of flourishing or struggle? I, I'm I'm just super curious to know what you think about this. Well, I think the conference, Patrick, and thank you so much for attending and participating as you did. I think the conference gave us a glimpse into what is possible going forward. First of all, 
sold out. We had to we had to stop accepting participation. We had participants from over 12 countries. We had, as we said, a variety of participants. There's something quite democratizing about Mason's approach to education. Everyone who's interested in education or in leadership or in how to live a good life can access Mason at some level and her, and her ideas. So that in itself shows that there's a future for further study and impact of Mason. What I loved about the conference was the collaboration across institutions as well. So where the university might be in the ivory tower and quite separate from schools on the ground, certainly from homeschools, we didn't feel that. There was this collaboration and respect for the insights from various perspectives, from government school perspective, from classical school perspective, from a, um, other sort of forest schooling was well represented. I mean, other perspectives on education and they were invited into the dialogue. So I see an enormous amount of potential going forward for how invitational Mason is for collaboration and conversation. The second incredible potential has to do with our moment. As you know, independent schooling, innovation in education is on the uprise. Not only are more parents choosing something different for their kids, more schools are being opened almost than ever before across North America and also, you know, even in the UK and there are other other countries across the world where there's uh, South Africa, the Philippines, we're just seeing different uh, Brazil, we've we've learned about. So we're seeing more independent schools being opened. But even more interesting to me is that these schools are so focused on new ideas about pedagogy. So Mason is one of them. And they're focused on new delivery models. So we're okay with hybrid schools. In the past, it was, you know, maybe government school, private school, homeschool. Now there's this thing in between private school and homeschool, and we're all not sh quite sure what it is. These, these hybrids, these three-day-a-weeks, these some courses are online, some are in groups, some are studied individually. Well, what are they? W what is this new delivery mechanism that kind of puts the child as a person and their capacities at the center, but isn't really child-centered education, There, there's a new context. So I see this being a moment for incredible growth globally for Charlotte Mason education because of the appetite and the curiosity for new forms of education. I would say the third aspect of the hope that I would have is Mason's philosophy is based on the curriculum pivots on history. And a key form of the education is through living books, as you've articulated really well elsewhere, and you and your colleagues have done so. Rich texts, you call them. There are so many beautiful books being written and produced and republished. Living books are now so available that offering a Charlotte Mason education in a way that isn't terribly expensive is now possible. So this growing appetite for the role of literature, literature, which obviously is, is the use of story 
in education. And those that are Christians and embrace Mason's idea, we are people of a story. We follow a person. So it's this kind of movement in what's available on the market, matching up with the philosophy. It's through story that we live and learn, through the touching of the emotions, through the through the establishment, the creations of or the 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 ennobling of our affections and the things that we care about. That's possible because of the beautiful living books that are available to us nowadays. Access to art, access to music is so immediate. We can surround our students with beauty in a way, and you've made this point in other other work that you've done. Access to it is so possible. So I see offering a Charlotte Mason education as more possible for more people than ever. We hope you've enjoyed our clip show, looking at highlights from this past year, from 2023. We thank you for joining us today, and we are excited about the year ahead. Already we have episodes coming up looking at school performances, interviews with people who are promoting the classical renewal we are a part of. Look for interviews with Carrie Eben and Jeffrey Andre with the Ecclesial Schools Initiative coming up this spring. Well, if you like what you've heard and are excited for episodes coming up, we invite you to subscribe so you can catch all of our new episodes. Whatever platform it is you listen to podcasts on, we invite you to leave a comment, give a five-star rating. That helps us reach others with this educational renewal movement. If you look at our website, educationalrenaissance.com, there you will find all kinds of resources from books to webinars. And at the top, you can click on our newsletter button. There you can subscribe to receive a weekly update, learning about new blog posts, webinars, podcasts that are coming out. Well, we thank you for listening. We wish you a happy new year, and we'll talk to you again next time.